Today is December 24th, 2017. It is, in fact, Christmas Eve. We're so glad to have family and friends here with us today. Uh, let me just take just a moment to explain to all of our guests, our family, our friends here, what we've dedicated each of our services to this month. While many other churches are focused on uh, the glitz and the glamour of the Christmas season, doing series such as Christmas at the Movies or Under the Big Top. <laughs> I'm, I'm, hey man, love you Rob. Um, trying to capitalize on all the cultural aspects of this time of year. Trying to gather in and, and lure people into their services with, with fancy advertising to take, to take advantage of the fact that people may come to church and darken the doors of a church who would never otherwise do so an entire year. What we realized here at this church is that's not our interest in the least bit. We're glad that you're here today, but what we've determined, what we decided for our body, for our congregation, for you here in this room, we realized that we were at war. We realized that everything that we are facing day to day is a war. It is a battle. The things that used to be easy seem to be difficult for us. But what we decided was that the most important thing is not to try to appeal to the masses, but rather to minister to the congregation that's here. We realize that it doesn't, that our battle doesn't take a day off. There's no armistice, there's no treaty, there's no day off, even for a date, even in the great month of December. We need to learn how to fight and how to fight well. Today is the seventh, everybody say seventh. Seven. The seventh message in our series. For a church that never does series, when we do it, we do it, man. If you can, if you can I, don't, I, I don't know if you can see it, I'm, I'm going to hold this up. This is the kind of church we are right here. I don't know if you could see all that. If you're a scientist, there's plenty of DNA that you can collect right here on this guitar. Even our worship leaders, even our singers are at battle, at war here. In the first message, ring revelations and calling around, we learned that we were supposed to open our eyes to the battle that's around us. In our second message, spiritual stance, we learned how to have a wide stance, hands that are eye high, and we're supposed to take the center of the ring. How many people remember this? The reason I'm going over this, for some of you, obviously this is the first time we're trying to catch you up. For those of you who have been here, you know what I'm trying to do? I'm trying to remind you of the steps that you're supposed to be taking in your everyday life. In your everyday life, as battles are coming against you, as you are facing the odds in your life, that these are the things that we run to. We run to the Word of God. We run to the body of Christ. We don't run away and isolate ourselves. We run to the very presence of God that our lives may be changed. Amen? In the third message called body shots. We learn to counter to the head, to practice ring praise, and to press your purpose. Golly, even as I say just the summary of this, just the title of the section of each of the mounting the offensive from each sermon, it should do something in your heart. I'm thinking about it even as I know I'm going to say it. It's written on the paper. And I'm still going, wow. You've got to counter to the head. When the enemy tries to give you a body shot, you don't return a body shot for a body shot. You don't return angst against angst. What you do is you go for the head. You go for the source of the problem. You take things and you make them accountable to God's word. The fourth message, I got to say it again, from Justin to knock you upside the head, Treaster. (laughs) Come on, man. Glass jaws and granite chins. You got to listen to your corner. Somebody say, listen to your corner. corner. You got to set your gaze and you got to wrap your hands with the word of God. In the fifth message, Pastor Matt did an incredible job. It says, getting off the ropes. You've got to plant your feet. You've got to cut off your opponent. And you've got to have persistent and deliberate punching. Yes. 
Anybody taken any of this and put it into play this month? Anybody? Anybody been doing any of these things? Have you been like me and you realize that every day you're thinking back to a previous message? Every day you're going, wow, I've got to take the center of the ring today. Wow, I've got to get off the ropes. I, I find myself bouncing between all the messages. In the sixth message delivered on Wednesday night, it's called Delivering a Punch. Man, if you weren't here for some of these messages, we have cataloged every message that we've ever done as a church. They're online. You can get them through the ease of an app. You can go to our website and find them out. I encourage you not to be people who simply sit here and listen to the Word as if it's spoon-fed to you. I, I encourage you to go back and listen to these. My family did. Nick, I want to tell you, my family, we all listened to your, service, your sermon again this week. Amen. We talked about it. We went over the notes and went, wow, how can we implement this in our lives? What a good word, Nick. <laughs> he taught us how to throw different punches, didn't he? An uppercut, a jab, a hook that we're supposed to die to self. We're supposed to use the word of God and we're supposed to listen to our corner so that we might rightly go forward. Today, the title of today's message on this December 24th is Stealing the Round. Amen. Everybody say, Stealing the round. Stealing the round. To steal the round, if you're not familiar with boxing, Pastor, all this has been very uh, aggressive. Yes, it's because we're at war. It's because this is designed to help you. The, the last thing that we want to do as pastors for you is to lull you to sleep. The entire world around you is trying to lull the Christian to sleep. There's a call to arm for everybody. Whatever your uh, special minority group is, they want to call you to arms in every way possible. And yet the church at large is just asleep. We sit back and watch others' things and go, wow, that's terrible. Wow, look at all that atrocity over there. And we're asleep. We're napping when we should be fighting. This is a church. If We're going <laughs> to call you to war. We are going to call you to fight today. Amen. This is our heart for you. To steal around is the act of invoking a flurry of activity in the last few seconds of a round that allows you to win that round. Amen. You know when they usually say that you need to steal the round? It's especially for the person who hasn't been doing spectacularly well. Who's been getting particularly uh, abused by the opponent. The opponent seems to be having the upper hand in every way. It's time to steal the round. Amen. First, there's an oral cue. You hear something. You hear it at the end of a boxing match. You hear it at the end of a fight. They're letting you know there's just a few seconds left. You need to pay attention. There's something different. There's something different that's going on. There's an oral cue for you. It's meant to alert you that the end is coming. Next, you see the corner encouraging, <laughs> especially for those who need to steal the round. Especially for those who've been having a difficult time. You're going to see the round go, go! They're going to start jumping up in the corner and start yelling out instructions. That's what we feel like as pastors for you. Yeah, hey, we've heard it. We've heard the sound. We know that our time is short. We've got to win this round. We do not want one person in this room to lose the round that you're in. Not one person. This is not for the elite few. This is for everyone under the sound of my voice today that you can win the round that you're in. That deserved a better amen. We want you to win the round that you're in. Because you're acting, your response to me today is like, yeah, it would be nice to win. No, 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 no. This is a life and death battle. This matters. What you're doing today matters for you, for your wife, for your kids, for the generations that are to come. Well, pastor, I'm not married yet. It still matters for you, your spouse, your children, and the generations to come. The Word of God is an eternal Word. 
Ultimately, he's going to win. We know that. But what we're trying to do make sh- right now is to make sure that we win the round. Chris, don't you need to win a round today? Come on, man. <laughs> Lastly, we see, the chal- we see the corner encouraging us and challenging us. Now we see the fighter engage. There's the sound. There's the call to wake up. There's encouragement from the corner. Come on, Jeff, throw that hook. He's susceptible to the right hand. Throw it. And then the fighter has to respond. There's a response that's required. Man, since we're all in, since we're in our seventh series, seventh sermon of the series, I know that we know the three main parts of the sermon today. They're the clinch. Come on, say it with me. What is it? The clinch. The turn. All right, I just got to make sure. Y'all got to help me. I know y'all going to go home and, and have your turkey or have whatever you got today and tomorrow, but you're not there yet. Let me help you to win in your life. Amen? Amen. Let's turn to Romans chapter 4. We're going to look at the clinch. Pastor Eric brought this passage up, and to me, in my mind and in my heart, I will forever attach Romans 4. It may be attached with a lot of other things, but it is now attached with clinch, turn, and mountain offensive in my heart. Anybody else? Here we are. Romans 4, 18. Against all hope. Everybody say, against all hope means the round was looking bad. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. What if Abraham loses hope here? He's not the father of many nations. How important is it for you to take the battle that you're in seriously? To wake up, to hear the alarm that's been sounded and to do something about it. He's the father of many nations, just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Verse 19, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Abraham did not ignore the reality of a situation. We're not trying to have you close your eyes and pretend like it's just going to get better someday. He faced the fact. He clinched with the reality of the world around him. He clinched with the reality of his own body. And also that of his wife. Continue to look. Since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Hey, let's not let the fact that many of us know the story take away from the specialness of what's being said here. By faith he believed and didn't... He was promised to be the father of many nations and he was 100 years old and his wife's body, her womb was also dead. (laughs) You're going to have lots of kids, but we can't. Yep. That's exactly right. And God still made a promise to you. He still made a promise to you. And without wavering in his faith, he clinched with the truth and says, yeah, I don't quite know how this is going to happen, but I know that my God has promised. I'm going to pull this truth close. Man, we're not a group of people going to pretend like our life is always rosy. We're going to clinch with the reality of this. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Amen. Being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what He promised. Yeah. Come on, be reminded of that today. As we are in the clinch right now, I want to also remind you this. God has the power to do what He's promised. Yes, if He's promised salvation to members of your household, what you need to do is you need to get something, have it come alive on the inside of you. Clinch with the reality that, that those loved ones are not in fact believers as you might hope that they are. That that child, in fact, is wayward and needs to get right with the God of all creation. You clinch with that. 
Pull it close because it's not to our advantage to pretend like it's not there. We're, going, we're trying to do what Abraham did and said, I'm fully persuaded that God has the power to change this situation. Amen. We see Father Abraham clinching with the fact that his body is as good as dead. This kind of clinch is what we're going to look at today. Let's turn to uh, 2 Kings chapter 3. 2 Kings chapter 3. Y'all with me today? Yes. Come on. Pastor Matt brought this example up last week, and I want to bring it back again to you. Because the truth is, is if I wouldn't have told you that he did it last week, some of you may not have remembered that anyway. So we're going to go to it again. 2 Kings chapter 3. This is the story of Elisha coming and prophesying and saying, make this valley full of ditches. The answer to the enemies that are coming against you is to go, in this case, the word from the Lord says, go dig ditches. What? Go make ready for God's provision. Yeah, but we don't have it. Yeah, go make some space. Go make some empty space that the Lord may come in and fill it. He said, you're not going to see the rain. You're not going to hear a river. But when you wake up in the morning, the entire valley will be full of water. Wow. Elisha goes on to further say, you're going to conquer every town and every village in this kingdom. You're not going to beat them today, but you're going to beat them ultimately. You're going to be able to put down this enemy. Let's look in verse 26 for some reality that's setting in. 2 Kings 3, 26 says this, When the king of Moab saw that the battle had gone against him, he took with him 700 swordmen to break through to the king of Edom. He's trying to go get reinforcements, but they failed. <laughs> See? The enemy's going to fail. Look at verse 27. Then he took his firstborn son, who was to succeed him as king, not just any son, his firstborn, who was next to sit on the throne of Moab. And he offered his son as a sacrifice on the city wall. The fury against Israel was great. They withdrew and returned to their own land. Can you contemplate this with me for just a second? The man of God prophesied absolute victory. They started seeing victory in the moment. And the king of Moab sacrificed the next king. He sacrificed his lineage. He sacrificed his name. He sacrificed everything. And what happened? The king of Moab actually stole the round from the people of God. It's the wrong direction. The people of God had been promised a victory. Yet this wicked king sacrificed his own son in the very final moments of the battle and stole the round. The real tragedy here is not the demonic sacrifices of a wicked king. Rather, it is the fact that the people of God quit. Are you, are you with me today? Yes. The real tragedy is not that the enemy wants to throw an onslaught against you, but that God's people are so easy to quit. Instead of turning it up, they gave up. Instead of sacrificing for the promise, they surrendered. Instead of stepping up, they let up. This is not going to happen here in this place. I can tell you that. You've got people in your corner who are saying, you will not do that here in this place. You're not going to be like those poor and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. We're going to be a group of people who will stand up and not let the promises of God die. Amen. They let the passion of the enemy cause their passions to die. Boy, it's nice to talk about a group of people a few thousand years ago, isn't it? We can shake our heads and 
bemoan the fact that, man, they, those Israelites, man, they gave up too quickly. What about you? When the enemy starts to throw his onslaught at you, do you just, do you just, uh, how did it say in verse 27? They withdrew and returned to their own land. Do you just stop advancing in what God has told you to do because it got hard? Wow, that's a lot of passion that the enemy has. For those of you who have gone out and ministered on the streets, you know that you will engage with people who have a lot of uh, passion about shutting you up. Anybody ever gone out and street witnessed? You know that what I'm saying is true. But you're expecting it when you're going out to witness, aren't you? You're expecting people to not like what you say, so you're ready for it. What about you in your everyday life? What about when you go on the job and you have a boss that's being difficult? What about you being torn aside as the enemy is trying to come in and plant demonic thoughts in your head? Again, I encourage you to listen to Nick's message from Wednesday night. He had a top ten list that was right on point about demonic, evil thoughts that try to come in, but they sound like our own. I don't have a place here. This church really doesn't need me. I don't know where I fit in. If I really engage in this Christianity thing, I just don't think it'll work. Those are all demonic thoughts. It's an onslaught from the enemy and we just take it in instead of realizing and awakening ourselves. If this were the only time that the Bible has an example like this, we might be able to come to some interesting conclusions. But this is not the only time. Would you turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17. Amen. <clears throat> the Christmas story, right? War. Yes, the Christmas story is about war, my friends. 1 Thessalonians 2, 17. Say there when you're there. there. It's about half of us. We'll get there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17, it says this. But brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of an intense longing, we made every effort to see you. Verse 18, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again. Paul, one of the, one of the most uh, powerful men that we know about to have walked the planet. He said, I long to come to you again and again, but Satan stopped me. There's a battle that's going on here, folks. We can even see this moving forward into our future. Let's look in Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13. Let's look at verse 7. Revelation 13, 7 says this, He was given power to make war against the saints. And to what? Huh. There are forces that are at work against us. Let's look at the end of verse 10 as well. Because of this, it goes on and explains what that power looks like. But look at the last sentence in verse 10. It says, This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints. Do you know why it calls for patient endurance? Because they're going to have to steal the round. Because the enemy is allowed to have certain influence and, and there's war that's going on in the heavenly. We can recall the Daniel scripture. Daniel starts to pray and it takes three weeks for his answer to get there. Why? Because there's heavenly warfare, folks. The patient endurance of the saints is because we're going to have to stick this out. We're going to have to endure. And then at the right time, 
we've got to steal the round. Let's think about this. The entire book of Revelations, is it not saying, hey, you Christians, those who actually love the Lord, not, not just calling yourselves Christians by name because you have nothing else better to call yourself, but those of you who love the Son of God and who are giving your life fully to Him, who are showing through obedience that you love Him, is, isn't the book of Revelation saying, hey, you're going to steal the round. You're going to steal the final round. You are going to be victorious because of the ultimate sovereignty of God. But here we have it in saying, you've got to be and demonstrate endurance. Man, the need to steal the round is set up by the fact that the battle is raging on. And victory seems uncertain, at least from our perspective in a daily way. This is the exact scenario we see the world in that was longing for the Messiah to appear. As everyone was looking for the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the world seemed to be anything but ready for him. Less than 200 years before this, before Christ, we have a man named Antiochus Epiphanes. By the way, Antiochus, he gave himself the name Epiphanes. I think it's Antiochus IV, by the way. He was a Seleucid king, a leader of the Seleucid people. He gave himself the name Epiphanes. Do you know what the name Epiphanes means? God with us. God has come. When you have an epiphany, either God has come to you or you get some revelation about what's going to go on. He's using that kind of word to say, yes, I am here, people. This is the nature of of what was going on in the world. This devilish, seleucid ruler and antichrist figure not only tormented God's people, he also desecrated the very temple of God, replacing it with an altar to Zeus and then sacrificing swine on that altar to make sure that he desecrated it properly so that the Jews couldn't worship. He would go through and make sure if you were found carrying a copy of the Torah, of the Scripture, it was a Crime punishable by death in his kingdom. He wanted to make sure that he crushed out every last part of what the kingdom was. There was an onslaught that was going on against God's people. This abomination required someone in to step in and steal the round. Fast forward to the time of the birth of Christ. The world was ruled by Caesar Augustus. It was at his command that Joseph and Mary had to go to Bethlehem to take the census. It was the first census. His vassal Herod is also seen in Matthew chapter 2. Let's look real quickly in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Lest you think that I completely forgot that we're on Christmas Eve. (laughs) Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. It says this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. If you keep reading in Matthew chapter 2, you know what you find? That Herod realizes that he's been duped, tricked by the Magi. And you know what he does in response to this trickery? He kills every male child under the the age of two. Jesus Christ came to this world and this was the very nature of what was going on. John 10.10 says that the enemy comes to do what? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. 
This is exactly the nature of what was going on. In the land of God, around the people of God, were demonic, evil men that were putting to death little children. Well, at least we don't have any little children being put to death in our day and time. At least we don't have demonic rulers and forces that are ever working against us to silence Christianity, to silence those who really love the Lord. You can say a lot of things, but to bring up the name of Jesus is a great offense in our day. Well, of course it is, because we're at war, my friends. My point is this, our favorite story of all time, the story of the Messiah coming to the earth, is set in the middle of a battle between good and evil. This battle was raging so violently that it required God himself to step in and steal the round. Come on, let's make the turn now together. God's ultimately, ultimate sovereignty will be seen. As you may know, in response to Antiochus Epiphanes, it was Judas Maccabeus that came in to steal the round. Judah the hammer came in and and led people to victory, restoring the temple through the miraculous time that came to be known as Hanukkah. They needed a savior. They needed someone to come in and steal the round and Judas Maccabeus stepped forth. And for humanity itself, Jesus came in and stole the round. Let's look at Luke chapter 2. Everybody turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Y'all stay with me now. We're going, we're going to get somewhere, I promise. I've been noticing in, the, in these, as we talk through the clinch, it gets really kind of quiet. Because we're actually clinching and trying to say, we're trying to be people who see reality for what it is. Allowing the Word of God to open our eyes, to bring light to our eyes, to make us wise, even though most of us are pretty simple. Luke chapter 2, let's look at verse 8. Are you there with me? And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flock at night. Shepherds out in the field. This is why we could, uh, by the way, not to rain on anybody's Christmas celebration, this is why we could be pretty sure that it didn't happen on December 25th, right? If it's in the winter, then there's snow out there and you're not keeping sheep out in the field. My guess is it's going to happen according to what the Jewish calendar, either at Passover or at Sukkot. We can talk about which one you like better. We can talk about a lot of things. But we see shepherds out in the field. What does it say? What, what, what time of day are they? How dark is the night? How dark was that night as they're out there? These guys are isolated, perhaps in the very field of Boaz. They're isolated out in the dark, keeping track of lowly sheep. These aren't just shepherds, by the way, raising sheep to be sacrificed in the temple of God. These are outcast folks. These are not even your average shepherds. These are the low class of the shepherds. These are the guys who don't get to go to church. You know why? Because they're out taking care of the sheep for the temple of God. Anybody ever felt like an outcast? Anybody ever felt like you just don't fit in? Anybody ever felt like you're in the nighttime, just longing for the morning to appear? If you haven't, 
<laughs> Stick around us for a little while. <laughs> if you want to know what it's really like to live a Christian life, come hang out with us for a while. There's nothing special about any of us as individuals except for the fact that we've met a truly great Savior. And we've decided a long time ago, whether it's night or day, whether we're outcast or in the middle of what's going on, that the announcement of the King's arrival is worth everything that we have. We will lay it all down, and we won't just do it once. We'll lay it all down again and again and again and again. Verse 9. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of God shone around them, and they were terrified. Yeah, any of us that thinks that we would be big and bad when something like this happens? Yeah. It reminds you of your place, that you are in fact the outcast, and it is in fact nighttime. But the glory of God shone around them. They were terrified. Listen, verse 10. But the angel of the Lord said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for a few of you people over there. (laughs) I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Can you hear the announcement? Can you hear? Can you hear that Jesus was coming in to steal the round at this moment? When the heavenly messenger appeared, it was for all people. You know what the problem with our churchianity here in America today is? Is it really for all people? Isn't it for a few people to build their own kingdoms? To see how many people we can fit in a building and declare to all how many people we just fit in the building? Yeah, I can assure you, this is not a case of just little man syndrome. Well, you're a small church, so you just got to speak. No, 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 no. We're trying to make an alarm here. We're trying to let you know, guys. Don't fall asleep. Don't get distracted by the things. This message is for all people. We're measuring our church not by the amount of people that we can fit in this room, by the amount of people that we can send to the nations. To say this is for all people. I love my church. I haven't got to tell you guys that in a while. I love the fact that we have more than 15 nations represented in our little congregation. Our little flock. You know why? Because this message is for all people. Verse 11. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Christ didn't just steal the round with His birth. Let's look at Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16. Let's look at verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? The pastors had the privilege of visiting this very spot where Jesus was speaking with lowly fishermen from the region of Galilee. We were looking at a grotto that had been dedicated to the the Greek god called Pan. We were standing there at a place that was basically an abortion mill for their day. Jesus juxtaposing what the disciples were supposed to do against the backdrop there. Clenching with the reality saying, Who do men say that I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. 
But what about you? Who do you say that I am? Isn't that the question that we all have to answer today? This is the same question that you and I must deal with. Who do we say that Jesus the Christ is? If your favorite version of Jesus is an 8-pound, 6-ounce, baby version with a golden fleece diaper, then you might be in trouble. If your favorite version of Jesus is the one that's still swaddled in a cloth lying in a manger, we praise God for His entry, but His entry was not to stay as a child. It was to make war. It was to build an army and to make war. Turn to Romans chapter 5 and verse 6. It says this. You see. Everybody say, you see. see. At just the right time. I love that phrase. At just the right time. At just the right time. When we were still powerless. When we were getting defeated in every way. When our sin was washing over us. When it was stacked as high as our heads. Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. The Bible's so truthful. It's given it to you always in the fullest truth version. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still, still sinners, Christ died for us. He came in and stole the round, and then He helped us to steal the round. Come on, are you ready to mount an offensive today? Let's get to our final three points here. This is how you're going to steal the round. This is how you are going to steal the round. We've been saying for a while, and Pastor said this, I guess maybe a year ago, I want to win. Boy, doesn't that just resonate in in your spirit? You'll be going through the day and be like, I want to win. Yeah, Um, for today, this is how it's been playing in the last few days in my mind. I will win. I will win. I will do what's necessary to win. I don't just want to. Gosh, it'd be nice to win someday. That's never what what Pastor Eric wanted us to do. The idea is that I will win. What does that mean? I'm going to do whatever's required. I'm still in the fight. I'm going to listen to the call from the corner, and I'm going to start to attack. And here's what we're going to do to make an offensive. Number one point, attack. Everybody say attack. The signal has been given, folks. Can you hear it? The time is short. Your corner is yelling, Attack! Let your hands fly. Use an all-out offensive now. Everybody say now. Now. I'm not talking about waiting till you make your New Year's resolution sometime next week. I'm not talking about going home and going, Wow, that was lovely. Let's go back to where we, how we live every day. I'm saying it's time to attack. How do you like that for a Christmas Eve message? Why? Because the time is short. The Word of God instructs us in this. It's time for us to demonstrate what we've been learning through discipleship. It's time for action. Let's look at Exodus 14. Well, actually, just turn to Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to remind you of Exodus 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Hey, folks. I know I just had you turn to Philippians 3, but just hold on a second. Look up here. Enough of talking about how difficult this year has been. I realized 
all of the things that have happened. As pastors, we're probably more painfully aware of all of the things that happened in all of our lives, some of which we mention and some of which we don't from a pulpit. When you hurt, we hurt. Enough of talking about the pain of this year. It's time to look forward and attack so that we can steal this round. This is such good news for you. If you realize that you are still here, that you're still standing, (laughs) that you have any breath left in you, you know what it means? No matter how bad this year has been, you can still win the round. You can still win today. You can make something happen today that will make this entire year, and you'll look back and go, yeah, that was kind of tough. But you'll look at it more like labor pains and the joy of the child makes you forget about the actual depth of that pain. Enough of us talking about the difficulties of this year. It's time for us to attack. Look at Philippians chapter 3. Are you there? There. Verse 12. Philippians 3, 12. Says this. Not that I have already attained all this or or already have been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. What has Christ taken hold of you for? What has He grabbed you with and put down in your spirit? Then it's time to attack that last, that last sound. I lost track of the time. Anybody ever lose track of time? Anybody else married to a person who never has the concept of... Okay, so... I'm just kidding. Okay, um, Attack! (laughs) No, don't attack. (laughs) If you've ever lost track of time, what happens? You're just focused on something else. Not realizing the moments, the hours that pass. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. I haven't gotten the full victory yet. But one thing I do, listen to this, forgetting what is behind. You had a great year? Fantastic. You had a difficult year? Fantastic. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, attacking in the forward direction. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Come on, it's time to press forward. It's time to attack. Larissa, it's time to attack. We're going to get in an attack formation and we're going to go forward. We've been learning how to get off the ropes. We've been learning how to stand in the center of the ring. We've been learning how to throw the right punches. It's time for us to attack. Lest all we do is continually talk about the fight and never actually engage in the fight. I I taught, you guys know, I taught music for a long time. All my little band babies is what I called them. It was was affectionate. I did, I called them my band babies. All the little strange birds in the school would flock. It was great. When you're teaching someone to read music, it's a very easy thing for them to do to lose the fact that what they're seeing on a page is is supposed to produce music. I had to teach them how to see things so that they can then produce what they were supposed to produce and it was supposed to be beautiful. What we're doing is we're trying to teach you how to see things in the Word, not just for the sake of seeing it in the Word. If you continually get divine revelation and you can't put it into practice, 
you don't actually have divine revelation. Pastor, I studied the Greek and the Hebrew and the Aramaic, and I decided this. Great! Fantastic! Praise God, but your family's falling apart. Wow. You're not learning how to apply what you're learning and go and attack the enemy and win. Come on, man. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Look at verse 29. 1 Corinthians 7, 29. Say there when you're there. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. <laughs> In case you were wondering, what I mean, my brothers, is the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they, if they had none. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Uh-oh. Those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. <laughs> what is the writer here saying? Time is short. You've got to attack. You've got to not have any thought except for the attack. Picture this with me. You're in the, you're in the ring. You've seen this. Some people are legendary because in those last few seconds in a round, they unleash a flurry. Wow, man, they start fighting. It's as if they get a new realm of strength that they didn't know they had, and they attack and they're able to put the enemy down. This is what the writer here in Corinthians is saying. He's saying, don't be encumbered by anything else. Launch out. This is the only thing on your mind is to attack. The only thing that you have before you is victory in your home, in your marriage, in your own heart. To stop being discouraged. To stop being heavy laden. To get out and actually do what God has called you to do. Man. Acts chapter 4. Quickly. I want you to steal the round. I want you to win each and every one of you. Acts chapter 4. Listen to this. Let's look at verse 8. Acts chapter 4 verse 8 says this. Then Peter... Filled with the Holy Spirit. Everybody say, filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's the only way that you can be, man. This is, that's where the answer is, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Well, that's kind of rude, isn't it? Can you hear the steely resolve in Peter, though? Look, if we're going to get in trouble, you're going to call us in, we're probably going to get beaten, thrown in jail. Fight's on. Because here's what's going to happen. Is we're not going to back down. We're, you want to know what, why we did this? We'll let you know. It's because of the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Not any other name was given by which men can be saved. We're going to do this. And by the way, this guy that I'm talking about is the one that you crucified. Pastor, don't, don't you think it'd be better not, not to mention larger churches or what other churches are doing? Peter was either being rude or he was in the middle of warfare. He was either filled with the Holy Spirit when he said it or he was not. And I think we just read that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Being able to call 
the reality of the things that he's looking at is exactly what we're after. Come on now. Where are you at today? What about you? When someone comes and confronts you, do you just lay down? When things get difficult, do you just stop? Do you pull back? Do you just concede that sickness is inevitable in your life? Well, I mean, I am getting older. I guess this is just the way that it has to be. That unholiness is just expected. Come on, pastor. Nobody actually is holy anymore. The Bible says without holiness, no one will see the Father. You can't see God unless you're holy. It's called the Spirit of Holiness. We call Him the Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, then you're supposed to be holy. Oh, yeah, that's great. You guys are preaching, man. I like that. Or do you just expect it in your life that you're just going to fail? Are you okay with things just being okay? Nick, part of what Nick said on Wednesday night, I, I took it from his notes, so I, I'm, I'm going to quote him as close as I can here. He's talking about throwing the hook. With the hook, you're offended by what Satan has gotten on you. And it's time to land something big. It's time to land some blows here, folks. It's time to attack. The first thing that we do to win the round is we attack. The second thing that we have to do is we have to let yourself go. You have to let yourself go. A reckless abandonment. But not just a reckless abandonment, not just wildness, it's a reckless abandonment of self-preservation. We already concluded that it's victory at any cost. At this point, I'm no longer concerned even about defending myself. Come on now. Think about this for a second. When you're at this point in the round, you know what you do? You let yourself go. Because I'm no longer worried about defense. How far could we get in this room if we're no longer concerned about defending ourselves? You worried about what people say about you? You worried about what people think about you? Are you always trying to gear what you say and what you do to make sure that people look at you a certain way? Time to put those things to death. We don't have time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. We're no longer concerned with our defense. It's all about the offense. Pastor, are you advocating that we die to self? Yes. Yes, I am. Absolutely. Die to self. Die to materialism. You're not supposed to say that on Christmas, are you? Yeah, you are. You're supposed to die to your own desires. You're supposed to let yourself go. This is not the time to count how many punches that we've thrown. This is not the time to count how many blows have been landed against us. It's the time to unleash and empty ourselves as we attack the enemy. Isn't this what we love about, even in stories of natural things, the Alamo? If you're from Texas, you know the Alamo. The men were willing to die to stand up for, for what they were doing. Praise God. Those are supposed to be the models for us. We're supposed to be able to do more than that because we have something that is eternal that we're fighting for. You see, when in hand-to-hand combat, hand-to-hand conflict with the world and the devil, neat little biblical confectionery is like shooting lions with a pea shooter. One needs a man who will let himself go and deliver blows right and left as hard as he can hit, trusting in the Holy Ghost. It's experience 
not preaching that hurts the devil and confounds the world. The answer isn't more people standing behind a pulpit. The answer is more people attacking the enemy and letting themselves go fully. That it might change the people everywhere we go. The training is not that of the schools, but of the market. It's the hot, free heart and not the balanced head that knocks the devil out. This statement has pierced my soul for as long as I've heard about it. It's not the balanced head that's going to win, folks. It's not you sitting back and thinking through it a little bit more. After the Lord has already clearly told you, well, let me think and consider this just a little bit more. No. It's time. Let yourself go. Nothing but forked lightning Christians will count. <laughs> a lost reputation is the best degree for Christ's name. From C.T. Studd. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6 as we begin to wrap up. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 3. 2 Corinthians 6, 3 says this, We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. How in every way? In great endurance, in troubles, in hardship and distress, in beatings, imprisonment and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness, where? In our right hand and in the left, delivering blows against the enemy. Turn with me to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Teaching us how to steal the round. Let's look at verse 23. It says this, Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The hour has come. The time has come. The time is now. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. <laughs> but if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it. If you're in the battle and you're trying to hold something back now, you're going to lose. You think that you're preserving your life, but by you trying to keep your life, you are ensuring your defeat. When you're concerned with the matters of this world instead of the things of the kingdom, you are ensuring your defeat in the last few seconds in a round. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. The man who loses it, the man who gives himself fully to it, the man who lets his hands go, the man who lets himself go is able to steal the round. Amen? Amen. Let's turn to Acts chapter 10. Because we're fighting and focusing on the fact that our fight is not a technical one. You're not going to win from technical accuracy. We're far, too, we're far too long in the fight for that to be the case. We've got to let ourselves go. We've got to take advantage of the last few moments that we have. In Acts chapter 10, let's look at verse 39. We are witnesses of everything He did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed Him by hanging Him on a tree. 
How did Jesus steal the round? He let himself go. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. Wow. By us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us. Everybody say commanded. Commanded. Us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as a judge of the living and the dead. Our contest is not going to be decided by some panel of judges with a scorecard. Our contest will be decided by the one that God appointed as a judge of both the living and the dead. Come on, so we've got to attack. Everybody say attack. Attack. We've got to let ourselves go. Say, let myself go. And the third thing that we've got to do is demand Christ's composure through convictions. We've got to demand Christ's composure through convictions. We're not talking about desperately flailing at the end of the round. We're not talking about windmilling somewhere in there and just throwing something at the enemy. We're not talking about the desperate flailings of an untrained man. We're talking about getting direction from God. It's not frenetic. It's fiery. It's not haphazard. It's heavenly. You have to to catch a heavenly, fiery, directed attack here. You've got to have composure about you. Let's turn to Matthew 16 as we get ready to close. Matthew 16, and let's look at verse 15. We were here in this passage earlier today, and I want to Prepare the closing by coming back to it. At Caesarea Philippi, with the backdrop of the most demonic areas that you can imagine, Jesus asked them, Who do people say that I am? Verse 15, But what about you? He asked. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock of the revelation that you've just received, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not overcome it. Come on, we need to operate in the convictions that we have. What we don't do in the last minutes of the round is to lower the standard so that anything is acceptable, because pastor said attack. So I'm just going to attack with whatever. No, no, no. We're saying we're reminded of everything that we've been taught. Our corner is encouraging us, saying, throw that right hand. Wrap that hand, that hand that was wrapped with the Word. Throw it now. Unleash it now. Open it up now. Go for it now. That is what we are crying to you today. That's what we're crying out for you. Is to say, today is the day. Let those hands go. Let them go with fiery passion based on the convictions that are built from heavenly revelation. By the way, there are no really other kind of convictions that you can have. A conviction that is something that you talk about and don't do is no conviction at all. When the God of all creation has spoken to you to start a ministry like Lighthouse, you start to develop certain convictions. When God is moving in your life, you have certain convictions. Man, I'm thinking about men like Shama, who stole the round because he was standing in a field, standing in the position that God had given him. I think about people like Benaiah, who stole the round by advancing into a pit to kill a lion on a snowy day. 
I'm thinking of the three Hebrew children who stole the round by passing through the fiery furnace. I'm thinking about Gideon stealing the round from the Midianites, though outnumbered beyond counting. What about you today? What about your round that you're in? Are you ready to steal around today? You're either in light or you're in darkness today. You're either fighting with a heavenly revelation or you're being used as a pawn of the enemy. It's time to steal around. Can you hear it? Can you hear it? The word is proclaiming, it's calling, it's warning, it's alerting to us to the importance of our time. The time to act is now. It's time for you to attack. As I'm saying this, I'm praying that God is moving on your heart and you're like, you know what? I've talked about this area for a long time, but I need to attack in this area. And make no mistake, friend, I'm not talking about next week. I'm not talking about in 2018. I'm not talking about sometime in the distant future. I'm talking about now. I'm talking about today. I'm talking about here as you sit. Can you see it? Can you see that your corner is motioning to you? Holding up the signs for you? Saying, deliver the blow? Let that right hand go. Get that left hook in there. Stand, jab with the Word of God. Getting the enemy back to create space so that you can drive it. Back him off with the Word so that you can deliver a fatal blow to the enemy. Engage the enemy. Forget the hurts of the past and let yourself go without thought of self-preservation. Where are you still trying to preserve your name, your finances, your own thoughts, your own desires? Can you feel it? Can you feel it? What was once a rumbling in the ring, something that alerted you, has now become a rumbling in your soul? The same earthquake that makes others feel like doom is at hand? you can now recognize that it's the calling of our God to action that demands a Christ composure and godly convictions. Come on. Would you stand with me today?